listening to the Ed Reach Network. This Ed Gamer episode was recorded on January 24th, 2013. This is Ed Gamer for Saturday, February 2nd, 2013. Ed Gamer's part of the EdReach Network, edreach.us, giving education a voice. Eine große Stimme. A stimmer, Jerry. <laughs> Stimme. Stimme. This show is dedicated to education gaming on any platform. We will give you the education angle on any type of games, ranging from tabletops to MMOs. We will discuss how these games impact student learning and how they can be used effectively within the classroom. I'm Zach. And I'm Jerry. And I'm Dave. Dave? Who are you? <laughs> uh, my name is Dave McCool. I'm president of Muzzy Lane Software. We're a learning games company in Massachusetts. Jerry? My name is Jerry James. I'm a visual arts educator in Schaumburg, Illinois. And my name is Zach Gilbert, and I'm your host. I'm a sixth grade social studies language arts teacher from Normal, Illinois. Jerry? Yes? You know, we, we've had many people on the show, and, you know, we're just lowly teachers, and we have a president. Ooh. Yeah, we have president on the show. The that's, president? That's, no. Oh. I, was about to say, I don't no. think we got that cleared with. <laughs> no. Homeland no, we, we've tried. Yeah, we've we've tried, but we got turned down, didn't we? From By Homeland Security. Right, yeah. I was about to say, yeah. we didn't technically try with the president, but. No, no, we tried with uh, Constance uh, Steincooler. 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 That's a, that's a cool name, too. Yeah. <clears throat> so, uh, Dave? Yes. <laughs> uh, of course, we have Dave McCool, president of Muzzy Lane, and I would say that uh, you came on my radar. Um, when did Making History come out? Uh, the first version of Making History came out in 2003. Yeah, that's that. That, that can't be. That that was. It seems like yesterday. I'm sure it seems like yesterday for you too. Time moves fast in the education market. It, it, <laughs> <laughs> yes, that I've, that's a common thing I hear all the time. <laughs> here moves fast in the education market no it's it i remember it coming out i remember i think cbs um like the morning show somebody had it had it on their uh that's right daniel seberg on the cbs uh morning show they ran a yeah about it yeah i saw that and i was just like okay i need to 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 see what's going on here and it really caught my interest and i was like this is this is a company that's going to do some great things and you've really come a long way uh, from the beginnings. That was was that your first? Yep. Was that your first big game? That was our first big game. Yep. We came into this sort of really with a passion for history and and trying to figure out how to apply gaming to it. And and making history was sort of our first output. And of course, you went to school with the idea that you were gonna you were going to make education games, right? <laughs> Maybe not quite so much. Yeah. So how did the, how did this all come about? Uh, well, so when I went to college at MIT, I was a computer scientist and, and spent a lot of years in the networking and telecom space. And um, early 2000s, I sort of looked at the gaming space, which I'd always been intrigued by, and, and really wanted to go do something in education. Um, and I'd been in grad school for political science a little bit, and so we decided to start Muzzy Lane and, uh, and go off and try to sort of crack the educational gaming uh, market. And, okay, so... And it was more of I'm, I'm guessing it wasn't one of those things. I'm gonna make billions of dollars from doing this. It was it was probably more of a love of doing something that you thoroughly enjoyed. 
It was. And, you know, we looked at what the life of a, of a small independent game developer was like back in the early 2000s. And it was a pretty tough road back then. You know, you didn't have digital distribution, so you really needed shelf space, which meant you were going to yeah. do a contract with a publisher. Um, and I think, you know, we, you know, that market didn't seem all that appealing to us. But what was really appealing about education was that, you know, being software guys by background, we felt like there was an opportunity to really partner with publishers and content owners to really help them bring gaming to their products so that, you know, our primary business would be working with other businesses. So you basically, I'm guessing you had a, it wasn't all by yourself. I mean, you had others that were involved with you. Yeah, I had um, uh, Tom McCormick, who was one of my friends from MIT from way back, uh, and I'd worked with before. And then another guy, Nick DeCanner here in Newburyport, where we're based, um, who had kind of a business background from the consumer side. The three of us got together to start the company. That's, I mean, I'm sure that had to be scary, you know, to to really decide that you're going to put something like this together and and kind of, um, you know, all hope. I mean, is it one of those things because, you know, there's teachers like me and others out there that, you know, we have multiple skills, but giving up my, my teaching job, which I thoroughly enjoy and love, I can't imagine just dropping everything and saying, I'm just going to go off and do this. I mean, did you have something else? going on on the, on the side or is it how did that how did that happen did you just drop everything and go for no, it we sort of jumped all in you know the the you know we'd had some success with our previous companies you know the first place we worked a company called shiva had gone public um and then we we did another uh startup in the uh networking and telecom space and we were managed to sell the company so you know we were able to come into this with a little bit of um breathing room um but i think we just jumped in we looked at it we said this makes so much sense gaming is coming to education uh, we figured it was maybe five years away. I think we were off by about five years, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> so it was a longer road. But and we had a lot to learn, you know. And I think we we came in a little bit naive, thinking, you know, we'll just figure it out. Um, but I think game development is a really it's it's a specialized area of software development, um, and education, as you guys know, is is also a pretty specialized market. Yeah, and it's it's you know I think on your side, I've seen developers where they've said. I know how to develop games. I'm just going to go into this market and just put something together and it utterly fails because it really doesn't match what, with what really needs to be done in the classroom. And then you have some that are from the education side that think that, oh, I'll just throw something together, but then they don't have the technical expertise uh, to, to put a, a nicely developed game together. Right, right. And I think, you know, we, um, it took a while. One of the things I think that's really the values we've created in the company is an understanding of the process by which we create these these games. Um, you know, some of our early projects, we met with some very enthusiastic instructors and you know subject matter experts, as they call them in higher ed, who who wanted to be game designers. You know, I think everyone everyone sort of thinks they can design a game, and <laughs> some of the early projects weren't as successful because um, we really didn't have the process worked out. And so I think we've gotten to the point now where. You know, we sort of understand we have kind of a process and a team building methodology where, you know, you bring the game designers together with the editorial people um, and with the subject matter experts um, and, and sort of a process by which, you know, the, the right game comes out. Now, you have, you know, you have a whole list of games on your on your website and we'll have those in the in the show notes. You we've talked before. You seem to think that the you know, the higher ed seems to be the place to be for games, especially for your company. What's the reasoning, I guess, behind that? I think that, you know, sort of the general wave of sort of gaming as a, a key part of curriculum going forward and really core curriculum um, is equally understood in K-12 and higher ed. I think that some of the adoption has been a little quicker in higher ed because um, 
it's sort of the adoption model of an instructor can can require materials for their course. The kids generally have their own way to buy. You know, they have credit cards. They have you know power. <laughs> um, and, and I think in K twelve where it's a little more controlled process, the kids aren't buying materials. The schools or the districts are often with government funding. Um, it's taken a little more time to get that sorted out. But I think what you've seen in the last two or three years is a ton of new educational technology startups. A lot of them gaming related, uh, building products for K twelve. And, it, you know, I've really seen the, um, I don't know if, if I'm butchering this or not, but a freemium model. You know, I definitely saw a lot of purchase-type purchase, purchase type games uh, early on in the early 2000s. And now it seems that there is a large influx of free models. Um, they've gotten some investment and they've, you know, been able to offer this out for free. Is that, how is that sustainable? Are you seeing that? I think you see that a lot in K-12, and I think it's, it, again, a market that's still sort of finding its way. Um, a lot of stuff that's foundation-funded, you know, MacArthur Foundation, Kaufman, uh, Gates Foundation has put a lot of money into um, educational technology, some of it into games. Um, so they get the products out there. I think the long-term question is still open of, you know, to what you pointed out. What's the sustainable model so that those products can be improved and maintained and um, delivered over time? Yeah, and that's and as we mentioned before, we've talked to uh, James Paul G, uh, Jim G, and that was one of his areas. How do you create good games for education and actually make money or make it sustainable? And that's it's a very complicated question. And it's uh, you're right. There's a lot of different models out there. There's a lot of people trying, and uh, it's going to be interesting. I think you're also right in saying that you know you were five years <laughs> you were five years off. Yeah. You know, when you started this, but it's, you know, I think you're in good shape because you were able to learn during that time and now it's really seeming to take off. Yeah, You've got a lot of people that are supporting it. Yeah. And I think for us, the important thing was, you know, being, having a software background, we felt like this was, this was games, but it was games in a somewhat um, different market. And we felt like there was some technology to be built that could really focus on this market. Um, these games need to be very transparent. They need to be very customizable. They needed to integrate into uh, learning management system environments for you know single sign-on assessment data, gradebook integration. Um, so I think it gave us the time to build that out, and also to the process by which we make the gains. Um, and I think to go back to the previous point, um, the model in higher ed, the economics of selling games in this space are different than the commercial market as well. You know, you think about the traditional, you know, the big game comes out at forty, fifty, or sixty dollars. You sell a whole ton, and six months later, it's in the bargain bin, and twelve months later, it's gone. Um, it's not the way it is in education. It's a little more like a, like a, the way a software product would be sold, where you know the first version comes out and you start selling it. You learn from your customers. You incorporate that feedback into future versions, um, and you just keep selling. And so I think the payback's over a much longer period of time, but you can also charge less because you're generally selling it for a semester at a time to you know a new group of students each semester. You know, so the model in higher ed is that you know the games are selling for less but they're being used each semester by a new group of students. And I think I, I've, I kind of see part of that model within making history because you did, uh, you did make a lot of adjustments, especially with that first version of the game. Right. And then you also allowed mod, uh, mods, modifications to the games, um, to the game. And that I think really brings a lot of uh, game enthusiasts to get involved. Yeah, that was a very successful part of that. If you go to makinghistory.com, um, I think we're up almost to 700 mods with you know half a million downloads, and you know people are just they just love that they love to create. Um, and the original Making History is now free to educational institutions, so 
if you go to muzzylane.com to the projects area, um, there's a program called Free for EDU. So any instructor can get, you know, a bunch of licenses for their class for free. Uh, there's classroom materials and lesson plans and all that kind of stuff as well. And that's 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 what's exciting. You know, I've used civilization because I teach world history. It's 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 a lot easier, you know, for me in a world history sense to to use something like civilization uh, for ancient civilizations. But um, you know, the modifications, being able to use Python and the code, and I'm guessing because I've had kids in the past that have actually created mods and scenarios within civilization, uh, and I was able to assess their understanding by the modifications they've made. I'm guessing the same thing could be done at this. Do the students have access to to be able to make the modifications and and to create? It's not just teachers. Correct. Yes, they do. They do. The um, making history is all pretty much XML based with a kind of an object language built on top of it. So so again, text based, so very visible, similar to what Python is with Civ. Yeah, it's. I, I'm sure that's exciting for <laughs> students. You know, to be able to go in and and. I hope there are teachers out there that have done that where they say, okay, you, if this doesn't, you don't feel this works right or you create a scenario and, and let me see what you come up with. I think that's, I like that open-endedness right. with the project. So what are some of the K-12 uh, projects that you have? Uh, you can kind of briefly discuss those and then we can get into the, um, uh, I, I'm sorry, what are the higher ed projects that you have? And then we can go into the K-12. Sure. So we've, um, like I said, we, we've had a lot of success in higher ed, um, and I think what partnering with the big publishers has been a big part of our business in higher ed. Um, so, for example, McGraw-Hill uh, and we have been partnering for a few years now to slowly roll out um, games across the higher ed curriculum. Uh, the first game that came out about a year ago, it was called Practice Marketing, and it's a game, it's a multiplayer game where you are the manager, marketing manager at a backpack company, and you're introducing a new backpack into the market. Um, and you're competing with other students while you do this. Um, and it's for the principles of marketing course where they're really focused on the four P's of marketing, which is product, price, position, and promotion. Um, so you so you configure your product, you pick a segment that you're targeting, you price it, you sign distribution deals, you run advertising, um, and you basically compete with each other. And it's been hugely successful because it, it really, I mean, one of the things that we've learned about education games is you really, you have to hit the learning objectives and you have to create a game that can fit in the environment of the school. You know, a 50-hour engrossing immersive game is really what you want in the commercial space, but an instructor can't use that. That's really not of any use to them. Um, so you need something that fits. And so make uh, so practice marketing, for example, it's a turn-based game. It can be run asynchronously, like say, you know, Words with Friends on Facebook, where instructor can set it up so that it runs out of class over the course of you know days, weeks, months. Um, you know, and turns are ending asynchronously to when players are connected, so you don't have any problems with, we don't have to be there at the same time. So that's been a pretty successful product. And then the second one in the series, Government in Action, just came out in December, and that's for Introduction to American Government courses, um, big course down south, especially in Texas, um, and problems, you know, kids don't enjoy it, they don't like oh. a congressman, and you're basically you have your resources to spend and you're trying to stay in office every two years while going to DC and passing legislation and gaining political capital. We did, we kind of broke up a little bit there, but it's, uh, the government in action is, it, can you restate that again? Because it's kind of cut out. Okay. Yeah. So government in action, government in action is a game for introduction to American government courses, um, which is a very big course, especially in Texas and Georgia where it's required for all college freshmen. Um, 
and it's a course that has very big engagement problems. Um, kids don't enjoy it that much. Um, they're kind of tuned out. Um, but in this game, you, you play a congressman uh, in a multiplayer game competing with the other students. Um, you have resources to spend, and you've got to decide how to allocate them between doing various things in your home district to, to win the next election um, versus uh, spending them in D.C., being effective in D.C., you know, proposing bills, supporting bills, knocking other guys' bills down, and really trying to score the most points. So, okay, I just want to, you said it. They didn't enjoy it, or they? I, I think I misunderstood oh, you there. Sorry, yeah. it, the course itself is not very popular among students, but the game is. Yes. Okay, that's. <laughs> I was like, oh, you're just dissing your own game. I'm like, what are you doing? No, uh, yeah. So that that totally makes sense. This is something. Now this is interesting. This is a, a freshman in college. Why isn't this done as a high school? That's a very good question, and every uh, the short answer is because we worked with with a higher ed um, publishing group to create it. But everywhere we go, like we were at the Ed Growth Summit in New York yesterday and Tuesday, everywhere we go, we get cards from um, high school, especially high school AP people. Yeah, who really want to use this in K twelve. Totally, I, I yeah, I'm I'm all over this. It's it's. Uh... I think it'd be great, the interactivity of this and seeing the process. That, I mean, that's the tough part. We were just talking about, in our last show, uh, read an article about Dan Pink's new book, uh, basically selling. The teachers are selling uh, what they're teaching, and they're trying to make it exciting for the students. And to be able to interact and actually see what is done I think is very exciting for the students and if they could actually be part of and this process, you know, of our government, I, I, why not? Why can't this be in high school? So Right. And I think you, if you look at the media and you look at what's going on, I mean, politics seems like it's, it's the kind of thing that could be fun, you know, and, and I think that was the, the idea going into this product is to work with instructors and, uh, and sort of find that fun. You know, it's, politics is very competitive. There, there's a lot of sort of game-like elements to it. You know, and how would we bring those out in the game in a way that would reinforce the learning objectives that they were trying to teach? Yeah, I, I'm almost to the point where I want to play it. <laughs> I want to go through it because I, I think it's, I, I think that type of thing is, is, is exciting, and it's exciting for me. I, I grew up at the, the state capital of, of Illinois. I, my mom retired from the state capital. Um, I saw the ins and outs of government, and you know, of course, I'm in the great state of Illinois, which you know, it's not like we're corrupt or anything, um, or have governors that are in jail. We're just but, really good uh, with our finances. Yeah, really good. Uh, but you know, there is, it's important, and that process is very important. And uh, as a teacher, and you are, t you know, you understand it, a love of history and civics. This is something the kids need. They need to understand it, and we're at a we're at a crucial time in our history. You know, Congress approval rating, so on and so forth, is abysmal. Right. Um, the trust of our government, but it's they need to understand the process and not be turned off by it. Sorry, went on a little diatribe there. <laughs> so, uh, so what are some of the other um, uh, uh, higher ed games? So, other higher ed games. So, we're um, actually working on an operations management game with McGraw Hill in that same series. So, similar thing where you'll play an operations manager and you know do supply chain stuff and um, bid for jobs and complete jobs, build up your shop floor. So a little bit different, probably not quite as uh, um, sort of current eventy as uh, as government games, uh, but useful. But useful, but very useful for the business. Business and economics is an area that has a long history of simulations 
you know, very yes. much kind of spreadsheet driven style simulations. And what we've seen so far is they're really open to bringing more sort of sort of engaging game um, principles into really teaching the same basic idea, which is, you know, how to how to do these jobs um, in the real world. Um, and then kind of at the other end of the spectrum, we're working with um, with Cengage learning on developmental math games for higher ed. And so there's a couple of games that are out today. You can get free versions or paid versions of them um, called Algeburst and Algeboats, which are Algeburst is sort of a match three style game to help reinforce algebra skills. Um, it's available on the iPad. You can get it in the, in the um, app store uh, and it'll be out soon on the web as well. Okay. Is that it for the, I'm seeing all, you know, especially on the projects page. Um, is that it for the, the higher ed? That is, I believe it for higher ed for what's currently out there. Yes. Okay. So good because, you know, I'm excited about higher ed, but you know, that's not what I do. But <laughs> I just want to make sure because we do have some people that, you know, definitely are, we have some higher ed listeners and that's, I think that's excellent for them. But you know, this is our bread and butter here, the, the K through 12. So what's, uh, I'm looking on the list here. Uh, you went over the practice, uh, series, the quit IT. Ah, quit. Is that a, is, is that, no, I'm looking at here. Is that a K through 12? Quit it is about as far away from or quit it. Sorry, no, that was <laughs> dorky. Be quiet, Jerry. <laughs> so quit it so, is a quit it is a behavior modification game, um, which is aimed to help um, cancer patient survivors um, help not relapse into smoking. Oh, <laughs> wow! That's cool. That's, That's cool. That would be a serious uh, yes. game initiative. Yeah. So the target player is. 65 plus has had cancer surgery is coming out of the hospital um, is trying to figure out how not to relapse back into smoking um, at the hospital. They teach you a lot of coping mechanisms um, and they teach you what the triggers are that might sort of trigger a, a need to smoke. And they, and they practice these with you in the hospital and the thesis here, and this is an NIH funded grant and working with uh, the Memorial Sloan Kettering cancer center on it is that if you could practice these in a game that you might be, it, it might reinforce them better for you when you went home and you might be more successful at using them at home. Wow. Okay. That's pretty, that's pretty awesome. That's definitely not a K through 12. No. <laughs> it's good um, though if there's games have... based outside of that too though. You know, everybody can, yeah, everybody no, can definitely. love games. Definitely. Now, okay. I have to ask, there's a, there's a picture in this game and okay. You know, cause you're a game player, right, yes. Dave? I mean, okay, I see this guy here, and I see there's a photo in the background or a picture in the background. It, it looks like a dark or drow elf. I, yeah, am I? <laughs> Which one? Are you looking at the, uh, the So I'm on the oh, – click on, on, oh, on the picture. I don't know who that yeah. is. That's a good question. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? I do. Is that dark? Okay, maybe that's full head of hair. I'm sorry if, if whoever drew that. But, it, <laughs> yeah. you know, when I looked at it, it was like, okay, it looks like a dark elf. What is that all about? Sorry, my little ADHD side <laughs> side thing there. Okay, that's that's pretty awesome. Um, but that kind of threw me for a loop. Yeah. But that's that's a very it's a very interesting, very um, what's the word I'm looking for? Precise game. Yes. I guess. Very very targeted. And I think. <laughs> Jerry, stop it! <laughs> Help me out here, man. Yeah, I'm just gonna hand you the shovel. Thank you. <laughs> um, and Thanks. I think, but I think it's a good example of. I think, you know, gains for learning, you know, the principles are pr and the technologies are pretty similar, whether you're looking at education or corporate training or, you know, the healthcare space has a lot of places where they do gaming, 
you know, whether it's for behavior modification, um, you know, patient education, uh, provider education, um, exer gaming. So is, is there one out there? I have a proposal for you. Um, is there one out there to uh, help children, uh, your, you know, your kids, um, like my, my own children, to make sure that they're doing their homework and doing their chores? Have you got one in the, in the works for that? Not homework, but there is a game out there. I can't remember who did it. Um, that gamifies doing your chores and will give you points and rewards uh, for doing your okay. chores. It, because, you know, I'm, I'm sure that's that's perfect in your household, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, okay. So we're both parents. It's one of those things that, yeah, it's not like I'm dealing with any of that. Okay, Midworld Online. What's that one? Okay, now we're back in K-12. Okay. <laughs> Man, wow. So, so Midworld Online is a really cool game. It's... Uh, so there's a company called Middlebury Interactive Languages, which is a joint venture between K-12, the company, and Middlebury College to take Middlebury College's immersive language program and put it online. So to build a, a high school curriculum for teaching French and Spanish. So they wanted a gaming component to this as a place to sort of go practice the skills that kids were learning. Um, and that's what Midworld Online is. We, we built in conjunction with, with them. Um, and you go, it's a place where you can sort of build your avatar. You go into the, this French or Spanish city, you can go on quests, you can play word puzzles. There are mysteries to go solve and mini games to play. And, um, it's all sort of total immersion, no native speaking all in Spanish or French. That is awesome. And is, do you have to pay for this one? That one you do. Yes. They bundle it in with their curriculum software that they sell to high schools. Okay. I, yeah, this go ahead, Jerry. Yeah, that's what that's what I was saying. You know, we talked about this even last night. There's a you know that <clears throat> those virtual worlds so big with uh foreign languages and history teachers because you put those two together and you get you know such great we build them in art, you know, we work on on the buildings of them, but <clears throat> foreign language I think in history have just been, you know, really taken off in those areas. This, this looks very cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Foreign language, I think, is, you know, just kind of a natural subject for games, you know, mm -hmm. especially avatar-based games. Yeah, that's that's definite one that I'm, I'm showing to my uh, foreign language teacher friends. That's very cool. Past Present. Past Present is a social history game for middle school kids. Um, it grew out of the uh, American History and Civics Initiative that the Corporation for Public Broadcasting funded a while back. Um, and the goal was really to sort of increase, again, increase American school kids' interest in history. And that is free. Um, if you go to pastpresent.org, you can, you can sign up just as an individual to play for fun. You can sign up as a teacher and create a class for your kids. You can sign up as a student and join your class. Um, and it's basically, it's an avatar-based sort of role-playing game. Um, there are two ways to play it. You can play it either as Anna, the in immigrant mill worker in a Lowell-type town, um, trying to sort of get by, feed your family, and get through the day. Or you can play as Walter, who is the, the up-and-coming mill manager who's trying to look to make his way up the ladder. Um, and there's mystery, and there's intrigue, and uh, there's you know labor strife brewing at the mill, and there's going to be a big conflict at the end, and everyone's sort of trying to figure out what they're going to do. Um, and so the goal is sort of to let you see both sides if you play from either side. Uh, is there, as I'm looking on here, some of the, the pictures... What are the different aspects? It looks like there's a um, uh, economic path. Yeah. So if you like, for example, if you play as Anna, um, I believe you play across four days. 
and each day you sort of have a morning scene where you're in the city going around and doing some things and you go to work uh, you work the looms in the mill and there's a mini game where you where you work the looms and that's how you make your money and if you're not very good at it you don't make enough money to pay the rent which is bad uh, <laughs> and and that's sort of how the rhythm of each day as you go through it and sort of there's discoveries and things that happen that you have to react to and you have to buy the you know the, the food for dinner and stuff like that um, and meanwhile you're sort of you're discovering information about what's happening with this labor strife and you're slowly building your opinion because you're gonna have to ultimately decide you know which side you're gonna take this is this is wonderful because it's you know I teach ancient civilizations but then you know I'm always jealous of the US history teachers because there's a lot more materials uh, media type of materials interactive games and things but this time period is really <laughs> Not as much, you know, yeah, not, it's not as much as the 20th century. Uh, and I think this is a wonderful way to get the kids engaged and to see what it was really, well, what it was kind of like during that time period. Yeah, I think it's really as authentic as possible. There's a great video on the website um, that was put together by our partners on this one uh, of kids playing the game and the game itself and kind of how they reacted. Um, there was actually um, pre and post testing and educational studies done as part of the project in Baltimore, Vermont, and I think New York, um, and it was really fascinating to read the results because you know this is like turn of the century, 1906, um, and in the pre-testing, most of the kids thought that a city at that time was very rural, that there were horses and hitching posts and hay everywhere. They didn't realize how urban it was already. Very nice. Yeah, I was saying 20th century, so this is 1906. Yep. Okay, so that would be part of the 20th century. Okay, so. Just, I didn't want somebody listening like he said, well, it's not like it was the 20th century, and well, this was 20th century. I'm going to be quiet now, Jerry. <laughs> Clear Lab Project. <laughs> Clear Lab Project is, uh, it's really, it's a collection of, of prototypes and mini games. Um, we got a, a grant from DARPA um, to sort of build, you know, investigate sort of games for STEM learning, which is sort of a big, big space right now. Um, and so we did. Steam. Sort of, you mean, you mean Steam, right? Yeah, not Steam, STEM. that's right. STEM, Sorry, Jerry, Jerry, Jerry teaching the arts. We, you know, it's it's evil words. STEM. Yes, we're very steamy around here. Yeah, we I, need to add the arts. Just, so go ahead. I'm sorry. I just tweeted the link to stem to steam.org yesterday. So yes, great oh, site. Yay. Great site. Um, but uh, so we did basically a prototype of a biology game called Cell Saver, which is really kind of cool. Like the cell's broken down, and you have to sort of get it back online. And each component of the cell that you get back online through playing, you remember uh, WarioWare, kind of the micro game concept? Yeah. So you basically are playing a, a really fast paced series of micro games and you gotta get seven out of 10 right to, to pass the level. And if you pass the level, that piece of the cell comes back up. Gotcha. Um, so that's pretty cool. And then there's a game called Atomic Hero where you're basically binding molecules into atoms um, with a gun interface. And, um, <laughs> and then there's a, with a gun, yeah. okay. And then there's a, a physics game called Slot Car Physics where you're basically you know, doing kind of recreations of slot car races and using physics to sort of make predictions and and that's the one that was intriguing me. Yeah, is it looks like you know you can make them crash. Yeah, ultimately we'll make them crash. Those, what's up there now are really just the prototypes from the first phase of the project, so that's very much still a, a work in progress. But those are all free. The prototypes are all free to, for people to play. Um, whoever wants to come see them. And I'm going to skip one because we'll end with you know the big cheese. You know, the making history. So <laughs> uh, participatory. Chinatown. That's a lovely word. Isn't Participatory. Yeah. Chinatown. Cool. That's, uh, that's actually a, a completed project. It was um, in Boston's Chinatown. They were doing an urban renewal project, and they were trying to figure out how to get 
the kind of the community leaders to sort of visualize what the options were. And so the MacArthur Foundation actually funded them to go create a virtual world of that neighborhood of Boston with some ability to go through that world and make changes and comment on them and, and tag things that you liked and didn't like. And they actually used the game at the community meetings um, with all the people playing so that they could go in and see what the space would look like because people would say things like, well, I think there really should be a park over there. But then when they would build it, and it would be nighttime in the game world. You'd walk by, they'd go, "Oh, this this is feels a little creepy, scary. Maybe we didn't." Want to <laughs> so, so that kind of stuff, or you know, so people role play different people. You know, like a a retired elderly um, woman living in an apartment, or you know, a college student. And so they were able to get a feel in the game world of what these various yeah. changes might look like. I love this this one picture here. It has somebody on the sidewalk and then somebody walking in the middle of the street, and I'm just like, that's that's kind of dangerous. <laughs> dangerous. Yeah, actually, they had students go out and photograph all of Chinatown, and they and that's how the, all the buildings were textured. Wow, that's that's awesome. Uh, yeah, Jerry's sitting here going because you know the art teacher and him putting all that together. It's yeah. amazing. That's mind boggling. Uh, and of course, making history. Yes, making history. Yeah, we um. You know, it's had a long history. Uh, there have been four or five major iterations. Um, I think really the, the the original making history for, from an educational point of view is still the best one. It's still the most focused. It has all the support materials built around it. Um, it's been used a lot. People used it, loved it, and kept using it. Um, that's why we opened up the Free for EDU program sometime in the middle of last year. Um, and just really want people to use it. You know, it's, it's really just out there to to you know, give people that opportunity to, to bring a game into their classroom that was built for them. And I think that's, yeah, this is the one. I thoroughly enjoy this um, this game. And now that it's free, because, you know, I've, I've, I have the, I know Valve, which I think we talked about before. Valve offers Portal 2 and, uh, what is it, uh, Universe Sandbox for free through their educator. Right. Uh, program and since this is free now it just makes me wonder uh, have you thought about making a connection with with valve and making this available through that program i think so we have not contacted them yet um the the commercial version is is available on steam um you know as a a pay for product so Mm -hmm. we just have to talk to them about how that works but i think that would be a very interesting idea because that would throw a lot of licenses out there to classrooms i think that would be it'd be wonderful because more kids would be able to interact with it and learn from it. Right. Exactly. Well, uh, let's see here. Um, one of the questions that we, you know, we talked about before is, you know, games and learning has changed. Uh, where do you see it going in the future? Do you think it's getting better or are you, you concerned? I think it's getting dramatically better. I think that especially in K-12, I think tablets, tablets have a, almost been like a reset button for educational technology, I think, on the software side. Um, I think on the web and on you know native apps on, on PCs and laptops, educational software has kind of struggled to find a, find a spot. Um, and I think tablets have come along and almost you know the whole software environment got created from scratch over the last, what, three years. And almost all the educational software you see coming out on tablets have some element of games or gamification. Um, you, know, you look at things like Motion Math from the guys out of Stanford or um, Amplify, which is the wireless generation effort, really just putting a full curriculum on tablets with, with games all throughout it. Um, it it's, I think that's really cool, what's happening there. That's interesting. Okay, say that again. Amplify? I haven't heard. 
So Amplify. Amplify is um, so wireless generation is an educational company in Brooklyn, and they recently um, announced a, a new brand called Amplify, which is basically making a ultimate goal is to make a full K twelve curriculum on tablets. And then have the, uh, I guess, text or whatever information, and then have games built in. Yep, games, text, video, all sort of woven together. That, 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 that's cool. Yeah, and I, <laughs> from our point of view, that's always been kind of the holy grail is 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 for the games to blend in with the rest of the of the curriculum, not yes. these islands. Yes. Uh, you know, there's a, and I paid for it. Uh, I teach one of the units I teach is Rome. And there's an iPad app. Um, I think it's Roma or or something to that effect. It's basically like an encyclopedia, but throughout it, it has interactive content. It shows uh, the city of Rome, and you can use a slider and change uh, the time. You know, from early on when the city was founded all the way to where it is today. You can stand in front of the Colosseum and see what it looked like before and after. And it's a 360, so I can take my iPad and go turn all the way around 360 and see what that area looks like. Oh, that's very cool. Yeah, it's in. that's something that I think is, is like you said, that's kind of where that's going. But having games and interactive content or simulations within that, I think that that would be wonderful. But here's a question. What, um, you know, because the games that you have, how, you, how like making history... Um, you know, I've played Civilization on the iPad. I can't stand it. <laughs> I, I can't stand it on the. I can't stand it on the Xbox. I can't. You know, I want. And I'm old school, I guess. But you know, transferring games like that over to uh, a tablet is that something you guys are looking at? I, I think there's a challenge with certain games, and I think Making History is not a game that that will ever bring over in its current form. Uh, yeah. But I think that the platform is really important. So, so for example, our, all of our games are built on our our game engine and our platform technology. And it's very similar to say Unity, our, our game engine now, whatever content you write can run on Mac, PC, web, iPad, Android. Um, you wouldn't necessarily release every game you did on all those platforms, depending on, like you said, you know whether it was appropriate. But really, I think everything we're doing now, like the practice series with McGraw or um, some of the other things we're doing are perfectly appropriate to a tablet. So past, present, I mean, that does look like something that could go onto a tablet. Yes, I think that could come over. It has not yet, but definitely could. Because, you know, it just looking at the style and how it's set up, I, I could definitely see that. Well, that's exciting because that's, you know, well, that shows some vision for you guys that, you know, yeah, let's let's create these games and then make sure that they're able to to move over. Um, the, the, I think the last thing I wanted to talk to you about was, especially with Jerry and, and teaching um, digital art, you know, what... What can a student, you know, that's going into, that's in high school and going into college, what's something, if they're interested in getting into a field like this, what's something that they can do to to help themselves out? I think, um, you know, we've talked in the schools here a bunch about, you know, what it's like to be working for a game company. It's obviously, you know, very interesting to a lot of the students because they all play games and they think how great it would be to make games. Um, and I think what we try to, you know, point out to them is that, the games industry is nice because it employs people of pretty much all types of skills, but you do need skills. You know, it's not just enthusiasm. It's not just, I really love games so I can make them. You know, if you want to be a programmer, you need to understand math. You need to understand physics. Um, if you want to be an artist, you need to know how to use the tools like, you know, Maya or 3D Studio Max or Photoshop. Um, 
and I think you know there's there's but there's a role for everyone. There's a role for writers, uh, visual people, um, sound people. Yeah, the storytelling is is uh, in in how everything is laid out. That's the area that interests me. You know, it, because it, it's got to flow properly. As an educator, it, it just it has to work together well in order to whether it's telling a story or the realism, especially like in making history. You know, you make certain choices. These are some of the possible outcomes uh, from that. But that's talk about science and math. The algorithms, I guess, the computation to be able to do that and put that into a game is that's definitely mind-boggling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's quite a bit of that. You know, the, the simulation engines underneath a lot of these games are, are pretty, pretty sophisticated. Um, but I think especially in education, the, the feedback's important. You know, you need to be able to understand how what you did affected, you know, the state of the world that you're interacting with. Jerry? Yes? D- do, you have any, do you have any questions? Man, no, this is great stuff. I love it. I, I love the... Uh, from the art standpoint, I love the graphics of all these all these looking things, and then from the from the virtual world standpoint, I love how you're using it. So very cool. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, and I think that's an important thing there is you know what we knew we wanted to let our game designers who are working with with um, educators make the right kind of game for the right application. You know, because sometimes a role playing game makes sense, sometimes a turn based strategy game makes sense. You know, sometimes <laughs> a casual game makes sense. Um, and so we really wanted to give them the flexibility to to go, go where the learning objectives took them. Well, I think that's it. I think, uh, awesome. Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. Thank you for listening to this week's Ed Gamer podcast. Please follow us on edreach.us and also follow all the great podcasts and blog posts on the EdReach network. Dave, thank you so much. Uh, greatly appreciate this. You're welcome. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having Have a great week. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to stumble on myself there. Uh, have a great week. You too. Zach, yeah. Are you going to fall deeply in love with J.J. Abrams now that he's been rumored to be tagged as the new? Uh... I was wondering. <laughs> I was wondering. I was like, how? How? I thought he was asked. Uh, the rumor flying around as we are on the internet is that he was asked. And but see, I don't think he can do it. I mean, Star you Trek know, and Star Wars. Yeah, you're crossing the streams. Crossing the streams. Yes. <laughs> you can't. You can't cross the streams.